Hello, this is Spencer DeVries, lead pastor of the Well Fort Payne. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. It's our hope and our prayer that every time you listen to one of our services, that your life is changed by the power of the Word of God. So I encourage you today, listen with open ears and an open heart. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and receive it with gladness. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, in our Father's house on Father's Day. So let's just honor and glorify Him. Father, we say that You are worthy. We thank You that we get to be here this morning. God, I thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You for calling us to this community. I thank You for planting this house. God, I thank You that it's Your house and not our house, Lord. But we get to be a part of it. And we say thank You for that, God. You are worthy of all of our praise, honor, and affection. We love You today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I do just want to thank the Lord this morning. What a special day that we get to plant a new church in this community. It's such a blessing. I know for those of you that have lived in this community for a while, and you've been maybe attending the Well Scottsboro or you've just been looking forward to this church plant. I know this is an exciting day for all of us. And before we get going, I do have a couple people I'd like to acknowledge. First is our elders in Scottsboro, Charlie and Maggie Smith, are here today. And I just want to say thank you to them for being here as they are with us for this special occasion. And uh, it's beautiful because they were able to bring our baptistry up from Scottsboro because following the service today, we're going to have three young people getting baptized. And so on our first Sunday morning... Because I believe that I believe that salvation is important. I believe that baptism is important. And I believe that people getting filled with the Spirit is important. And I believe that today we get to act upon those things. Uh, Tommy and Rochelle McKee's son Samuel got saved at camp this past week. He's going to get baptized and his sister Gracie. And then I have the honor of baptizing my oldest son Judah today. So I'm very excited about today. And so directly following the service, if you go out the back door, the baptistry will be right to the right outside the door. We're going to have a baptismal service this morning. Amen. But then also, I'd like to acknowledge uh, some of my family. Justin and Melissa Hill are here today, as well as my mother-in-law. She's serving in the babies today, Lisa. And I just want to say thank you to you guys so much for being here and honor you guys. You're incredible people. And uh, I'd also just like to ask the fathers to stand. If you're a father, would you just stand today? And let's, let's give it up uh, for those that, you know, fathering is not an easy job. It takes a man to be a father. And I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you. And it's funny, I was going to read the scripture over you that Pastor Lauren read earlier about fathers do not discourage your children, um, and, but he read it and took care of that. And so I just want to encourage each and every one of you to be the fathers that God has called you to be. Amen? The scripture that has resonated in my heart ever since the vision of the, fort, of the well fort pain was birthed is Psalm chapter 127, verse 1. And today we're going to be talking about the Father's house. And I want to use this scripture in Psalm 127 to set the tone, not just for the sermon today, but for this church and this house as we plant and as we move forward in advancing the kingdom of God in this region. So I want to read to you Psalm chapter 127 verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And I just want to declare this morning as we begin this new work as the Wellfort Payne that it is God who is building this house. It's not the efforts or the intentions of man, but this house is built upon the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is a firm foundation. We can trust and we can know that if Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone that we lay this church upon, then this church will not fail because he said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, on this rock, 
rock, I will build my church. And Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. But today, I believe we're not here in vain because I believe that God is building this church and Jesus Christ is our solid foundation. And the desire of this house is not to build a social gathering place. It's not to provide people with an opportunity to fulfill religious obligations so that they can feel like, well, I went to church and I did my good deed for the week and now I can just, you know, go and live my own life. We're not just here to provide good, you know, programs for children and a comfortable seat for you to sit in. The, the goal of this house is that this is a house of power. It's a place of transformation. It's a place where Jesus Christ is glorified. It's a shelter for the broken. It's a bridge for the lost to find find the salvation that they can only come through Jesus Christ. And so today I'd like to take a few minutes and talk to you on the topic of the Father's house. And if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And this is actually the passage that the Lord led me to when we were planning to plant and launch on Easter Sunday. This is the passage that I felt like the Lord wanted me to speak from. And as I began to pray and, and seek the Lord and get ready for today, He just kept putting His finger back on this because today being Father's Day and the launch of this house, I believe that this is a word for for us today. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 2 and you can go uh, to the 45th verse. We're going to read that in just a moment. But let me give you a little bit of backdrop of what's happening in this situation so that you know and understand what's going on. Because in the closing verses of this powerful chapter, you know, we have the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. But as you read on, we find that Jesus has matured into a 12 year old boy. And we find this incredible story with powerful truths about the, the way that Jesus felt about his father's house. Because he was in the temple. And uh, Mary and Joseph, who were Jesus' parents, they followed the Jewish customs of attending pa the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. Every year, they would pack up their family, and they'd make the journey, and they'd go to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate the Passover, and then they would go home, right? And that was a good thing. But when they were journeying home, uh, back to Nazareth, all of a sudden it dawns on them that they haven't seen Jesus for a while. Could you imagine the terror that all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, we have, we've lost Jesus. And what was happening is, I, I, it makes me think, have you ever been to that place in your life where you're carrying out a religious obligation, all of a sudden you realize Jesus is nowhere to be found? I think a lot of people find themselves in the position that Mary and Joseph were in, because you have to remember their journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back home was a religious journey. And so they were in a place in their life where they were doing religious things, but Jesus was no longer present in their life. They had left Jesus. One thing I love about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit is they will never leave you, but you can leave them. Right, And so what had happened is they had left Jesus in Jerusalem and it dawns on them. And so they begin to just search frantically for Jesus. Where's Jesus? They begin to check with their family and check with their friends that they're traveling with and they can't find him. And finally they go back to Jerusalem. And let's pick up in Luke chapter 2 verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. But he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. 
In verse 49 of Luke chapter 2, we find the first recorded words of Jesus incarnate, Jesus in the flesh. That's the first thing that's ever recorded. I know that in the Old Testament, you know, that he showed up as the angel of the Lord. But this Jesus in the flesh that was birthed through Mary by the impregnation of the Holy Spirit, this is the first words we have recorded in the Bible of Jesus. And the first words were, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This is the first recorded words of Jesus that we have. And after his mother confronts him, I love the way that he responds. He said, why did you seek me? In other words, he was saying, Mom, why were you looking for me? Remember where they found him. They found him in the temple. And so you have to understand that the reason that he asked this question is a direct correlation to where he was. He was basically saying, why did you go look somewhere else? Because you should have known that this is where I would be. Why were you looking for me somewhere other than the place that I'm called to be, the place that I love, the place that I'm passionate about? You must know that, Mom, I've got to be in the Father's house. I've got to be about my Father's business. In essence, Jesus was saying, why did you look somewhere else first? Why didn't you, or why did you look somewhere else first? Why didn't you come here and look for me? Didn't you know this is where I would be? You know, there's a lot of Christians today that if the first place you looked for them on Sunday morning was church, you'd have to keep looking. Because that's not where you'd find them. You'd have better luck finding them on the lake or, or on the beach or on the couch or at Lowe's or at Walmart than you would finding them in the house of God because this is not the place that people are passionate to be. And I believe that we should be people that we don't come to church out of legalism because we have to come to church, but we should have a heart to want to be in the Father's house like Jesus where he said, Mom, why are she? Remember, you have to remember he was 12 years old. Yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he said, Mom, did you not know that this is where I would be? Don't you understand that this is where I want to be? This is my passion? Jesus' parents didn't have to drag him to the temple and make him go to church. There was a, a desire and a passion inside of his heart to be in the house of his father. You see, we don't attend church because we have to. We attend church because we want to. And I try to teach that to my children. We don't say, we're going to go to sleep early on Saturday because we have to go to church tomorrow. We say, we're going to go to sleep early because we get to go to church tomorrow. I would encourage you, fathers, mothers, teach your children. Children, that going to church is not an obligation, it's an opportunity. It's something that we get to do. It's a privilege that some places in the world, they don't have the privilege to go to church. And here we are in America with free liberties, we can go to church. And sometimes it's pulling teeth just to get people to go to church. But Jesus wanted to be in the house of the Lord. And he said to his mother, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, translated in the Greek, that word business means the things that are my father's. So he's saying, Mom, didn't you know that I must be in the midst of the things that are my father's? In fact, every translation except for two say, Mom, did you not know, Mother, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So, because if you look at the Gospels, you'll see that for Jesus and in his life, going to the house of the Lord was something that he did on a regular basis. It was a part of his life. If you look at Luke chapter 4 verse 16, it says, So he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. As his custom was. Jesus wasn't at church once a month and at the, the pool the other three weeks of the month. 
And, you know, by the pool of Bethesda, just chilling out. It was his custom to go to church, to be in the house of the Lord. And again, I'm not saying we be legalistic. I understand there are times when, you know, someone is sick or when you have to go out of town. I'm not trying to be legalistic and browbeat anybody here. I'm trying to show you that it was in the heart of Jesus to go to church. Um, Because you give time to what you care about. Right? Obviously, Jesus had a heart and a love for the house of God. In fact, it was written of him in Psalm 69 and verse 9 and remembered of him in John chapter 2 verse 17 where it said, speaking of Jesus, zeal for your house has consumed me. Passion for your house, a zealous burning, a fervent fire for the house of God is inside of my bones, is what it was saying of Jesus. So Jesus was consumed, burning with zeal for God's house. So with that being said, and that being known of Jesus, who is our perfect example, what should the church look like? When we come on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, what should take place? Because I don't ever want to get to a place in my life where I, it's just this is the way we go to church. And we do it because it's what we feel like we have to do, because it's an obligation, because it's a tradition. But I want church to be a place that I want to go. I want church to be a place that my children want to go. I want church to be a place that lost people want to go because it's not known as boring and dead, but it's a place that's alive, it's active, something's happening, something's going on. And so what should it look like? And I have seven biblically-based points that will show us in Scripture what should happen and take place in the, word, in the house of God through the Word of God. So if you're ready, if you would get a notebook ready or a pen or your phone or whatever you're taking notes on today, because here's the first point. We're going to jump right into it, and it's worship. I believe that worship should take place. That's why we sing. That's why we have instruments. It's not just to make noise. It's not just to fill space uh, so that we, you know, we make sure that, that you know, we're Pentecostal so our service goes long enough so we better sing more songs. You know, the reason that we sing and, sing and we play instruments is because we want to worship, not just to have a moment where everybody feels good and it gives people time to get their children checked in. You know, I believe that worship should be a priority. I believe that we should come in with our hearts prepared and ready. And I believe that the reason that a lot of churches and and places don't experience in worship the presence, the manifest presence of God and the power of God like we could is people don't come ready to worship. It takes the first two or three songs to get all the distractions out of the way and all the, the thoughts and everything that we've carried from the week out of the way so that we can actually give God the time and the honor and the glory that He is due. I love what it says in Psalm chapter 134 verse 2. David writing, he says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lift up your hands where in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Worship should take place when we come together in the house of God. Because worship is a space of time that we dedicate to removing our attention from what's happening in the world and placing it on God. Because the word worship simply means devotion. So what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm taking this time, I'm taking my mind, I'm taking my heart, I'm taking my soul, and I'm devoting it to you. Because worship is not just singing. It's not just lifting hands. It's not just getting on your knees. It's not just being in a moment where the congregation is all singing and worshiping for you. Worship is you saying, I'm going to devote myself completely and fully to you, God. I'm going to let what's happened in the world, what's happened at home, what happened last year or last week, I'm going to let that all go. And I'm going to take the attention that I have, 100% of it, and I'm going to give it fully to you. 
The words distracted and worship don't go together. They, in fact, they contradict one another. Because if I'm in a moment where the Lord is being uh, you know, glorified and honored and songs are being sung to Him and about Him, and I'm thinking about something else, then I'm not actually worshiping Him even though I'm in a worship moment. And so we need to make sure that we fully commit ourselves to the Lord and not be distracted by the things of life when we come in. I've done it. You've done it. We come in. You know, it, you know we, we got our children to finally you know, go to class and not scream. And we come come wandering in the back and we disturb 13 people to get to our seat and we finally we've got our coffee we're 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 standing there we're ready to worship and all we can think about is the lady two rows back that's so off key you know that she can't couldn't you're surprised she even got in the door right and you're you're wondering about the yard that needs to be mowed later and if the roast is going to burn in the oven what the preacher's going to preach on you know if your your car's going to get a ding in it when somebody parks next to you all these things things begin to flood your mind. I want to encourage you. When you come into the house of the Lord, take a moment, prepare yourself on the way to church. Don't wait until you get into the service to prepare your heart to worship. Make sure that on the way to church, in the car, with the children, with the family, begin to just pray. Just begin to invite the Lord. Because remember, church is not the Lord's moment. Sunday is the Lord's day. Okay, so let's make sure that the whole day we're preparing ourselves so that we are ready to worship when we get here. So that when we come in, it doesn't take two songs to, you know, to, to get all the, the confusion and the cobwebs off. We're ready to worship. Amen. Our time of worship is not meant to be about us. And a lot of people make worship, oh, I want to get goosebumps, I want to feel the presence of God, I want to be encouraged, I want to be, I want to, you know, be uplifted. Listen, if you put all your attention on Him, He will take care of you. Don't worry about you getting what feels good to you. If you focus on glorifying, honoring, and being pleasing to God, guess what? You will get an encouragement. You will get the feeling of the presence of God. And so I want to encourage you, next time you come to worship, set your mind completely on the Lord. Don't worship to feel good. Don't worship to look good. You know, some people worship to look good. You know, make sure that people see you raising your hands or getting on your knees or shouting. We worship for one reason and one reason only. It's because there's glory that is due to the Lord and He is worthy of it. Amen? So that's the first thing that should happen in the Father's house is worship. The second thing is giving. You notice that earlier we've already taken up tithes and offerings. I believe that the house of God is a place of giving. I remember there's a story in the Bible where Jesus was sitting in the temple with his disciples and he was watching people give money into the treasury. And there were people they came and they were dumping big bags of money in and all this stuff. But then a little widow woman with two mites came in. She put two mites in there and Jesus thought it was so important that he got his disciples' attention. He said, whoa, 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 do you realize that this lady right here gave more than everybody else gave? Because they get out, gave out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had. So I want to preface this point with saying, I'm not trying to talk to you to get you to give more money to this church. I'm telling you this because it's a principle in the Word of God that we should give to God. We don't give to the church. We don't give to a pastor. We give to the Lord. Because I believe that, that when we do, He will, in response, bless our lives. Not that we give to get, but we give to be a blessing. I grew up in church, and so I've heard every excuse, excuse that you can possibly imagine when it comes to tithes and offerings. I can't afford to tithe. Uh, tithing is an Old Testament concept. I give what I can when I can, or I give in other ways, you know. I serve in the nursery, and that's my tithe, you know. Um, 
but I believe that when you love the Lord, tithes and offerings are not seen as an obligation. They're seen as an opportunity because you have an opportunity to be a blessing and not just focus on getting a blessing. And so it's another form of worship because it's another form of devotion. It's another form of giving ourselves completely to the Lord. And it's an opportunity to bless and to sow into not a person, but into the kingdom of God. Because you have to remember, when you drop a tithe envelope or you go online and you give, you're not giving to a man, you're giving to God. You're giving to the house of God. And so in the same manner though, when you don't give, you're not robbing man, you're not robbing this church, you're robbing God. And the scripture is clear. I want to read Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. God says through his prophet, will a man rob God? Well, you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And God's response is this, in tithes and offerings. So they ask God, God, how have we robbed you? And God says, the way you have robbed me is by tithes and offerings. But then he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. But bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this. Some translations say, test me now in this, or prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke, listen to this, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. I believe that as we are faithful to give tithes and offerings, we're going to see this land, this community, Fort Payne, DeKalb County, the surrounding regions begin to bear fruit. And all the nations, all the other communities will begin to rise up and say, Fort Payne is blessed. And when I say blessed, I'm not just talking about a monetary blessing. I'm talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes, healing, deliverance, salvation. Because I don't want you to tithe for my benefit. I want you to tithe for your benefit. Because what is a tithe? A tithe is 10% of every bit of increase that you have. I try to teach my children, if they get birthday money, we're going to tithe on the birthday money. I don't wait, if you, because if you wait until your child gets its first job to try to teach it about giving some of their money to the Lord, then I believe that they've already developed this mindset that is what's mine is mine. But Christians should not live with an idea of what's mine is mine because we should serve God with an open hand, meaning that whatever is mine actually belongs to God and it's generous of Him to allow me to keep 90% of what I make. So it's not just, I don't just tithe on salary, we should tithe on any increase. Somebody walks up and slips me $20, two of it belongs to God. Not, I go, should I tithe on this, should I not? It's already made up in my mind. If any increase comes into my life, 10% of it belongs to God. And if I want to go above and beyond and give an offering, that's when I give more than what is asked of me by God. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never tried this principle, begin tithing. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it be, to, to try to, to get more money in, in the basket when it's passed or when it's put in the back. I'm saying it for your life because God is saying, listen to what he says in Malachi chapter 3. You've robbed me. And since you've robbed me, you're cursed with a curse. I can't change the word of God. And I don't want to change the word of God. But the word of God is clear. That you and you rob God of tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. But when you tithe and you give and you're generous, he says you will be blessed. 
Not just you, but you'll be fruitful. Have you ever sown, Pastor Laura and I were talking about sowing seeds this morning. Have you ever sown what you thought were good seeds, but you didn't see any increase? You didn't see any result? Maybe the enemy came and he stole it away? It lifts in what it says in Malachi chapter 3. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your name's sake. In other words, the one that's going to try and come and take away the seeds that you've planted, I'm going to rebuke him. And who God rebukes has no power in our life. Amen? So let's be people that give tithes and offerings, not not out of obligation again, but out of opportunity. So the second thing is giving when we go to the household. The third thing is healing. I believe that the church is a place of healing. I believe that it's God's will and it's God's plan to heal people. That's why one of the reasons, yes, God sent His Son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, but He also sent Him to bring healing. It says by His wounds and by you know, His stripes and by his, all this, it says that uh, his, by His stripes we are healed. We were healed, in fact, is what it says in the book of Peter. And so healing... Uh, I want to read Matthew chapter 21, verse 14. It says, Then the blind and the lame came to him, speaking of Jesus, in the temple, and he healed them. Where did he heal them? In the temple. The church is a place of healing. There are other stories where Jesus was in the temple and there was a man with a withered hand and he asked the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And he healed the man. Where? In the temple. And this is where they came to him, was in the temple because the house of God is meant to be a place of healing. Physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing. I believe that we're going to see this house, this place, the Wellfort Pain, be a house of healing. Amen? I believe that we're going to see this place become a hospital for the broken spiritual, mental, physical healing. And in fact, if you have need of healing in your body, would you just raise your hand right now? Just don't be ashamed. If you have need of healing, let's just all church begin to pray for healing. Father, I declare that by your stripes that you purchased healing on the cross through Jesus Christ. I thank you that it is your will that we are healed. God, I thank you that you have already provided the atonement that we need, God, and that the stripes that were laid upon Jesus Christ back purchased healing. And we pray the prayer of faith right now, God. We believe we partner our faith together. God, your word says that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say to a mountain, be removed, and it will be cast into the sea. Well, right now we say sickness go in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare the blood of Jesus. Jesus, which cleanses and heals in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In, the, in that passage that we read in the book of Matthew, one thing that I love, it says that those that were in need of healing came to him. They came to him. Jesus didn't have to put out a Facebook post or flyers and say, healing ministry over here. People knew that Jesus could heal because Jesus had healed. Because Jesus is a healer. Jesus was a healer. And I believe that the church, there should be something going on in the church that people just start showing up. That we don't have to, to always say, we're going to have a healing service, or we have healing ministers, or we have you know this or that. There's been too much of that for too long, just trying to promote and promote and promote. I believe that if something is truly taking place, people will begin to hear about it, and God will begin to move, and people will begin to get healed. And I believe that church isn't meant to be boring. People should hear, people got healed at the Wellfort Pain on Sunday, and so next week, they show up because they need healing. Amen? All right, the fourth thing that should happen in the house of the Lord is prayer. That's why earlier in the service, Pastor Lauren 
prayed. That's why we pray during worship. That's why I prayed earlier when I got up here is because I believe when we come to the house of the Lord, it should be a house of prayer. There was a moment in the life of Jesus when he went to the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, it was, it was preceding the scripture we just read in Matthew chapter 21 when the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them, where he went and he found in the temple courts, he found these people that were trying to sell sacrificial animals at an inflated price and make a profit off of the fact that people needed these animals in order to buy and provide atonement through the law. And it was in this occasion that after Jesus, he flipped tables, he drove out the money changers. In fact, the book of John says Jesus made a whip. Come on, somebody. That's the Jesus that I serve. He, he made a whip and he drove those money changers out of there. And it was on this occasion that we find in John chapter 2 that the, the disciples remembered of Jesus where he said, zeal for your house has consumed me. But after Jesus was, you know, as he was purifying the temple, he quoted what the prophets Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah both wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I believe that prayer must be a central part of the church. It needs to be a central part of the church. A church without prayer is a church without power. Because power doesn't come from you or from me. It comes from the Spirit of God. And prayer is a connection point to God that invites Him into our situation. Because talking about healing, I can't heal people, you can't heal people, but we know the one who can heal people. And prayer is the connection point between believers and God to communicate with Him and ask Him and beseech Him, not anxiously. In fact, I love that earlier that, that uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, she said, Son, don't you know we search for you anxiously? But Philippians, Paul would write later, he said, don't be anxious for anything. I believe that when we're praying for healing, or when we're praying for deliverance, or we're praying for God to provide in a way, we don't need to pray anxiously. Sometimes I believe the reason that our prayers don't get answered is because we don't pray them in faith, we pray them in anxiousness. But he says, don't be anxious for anything, but in all things, both by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that word thanksgiving means that we should pray with faith, believing that he's going to do it because we're asking him to do it. Because Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done. Now, some people would try to pervert in that and say, well, as long as I pray for anything in the name of Jesus, it's going to happen. That's not what that scripture means. If you read that, that scripture in the original text, in the Greek, it means in my name means in my character. And so what Jesus was saying is if you ask anything in the character that I am in, which is always 100% of the time submitted to the Father, then those things will be done that you ask Him to do. Not, I don't just say, Lord, you know, let there be a brand new car out there for me in Jesus' name. That's, we're not called to abuse the name that's above every other name. It's that we ask it in His character and in His likeness as the children of God. He will do these things. Amen? But prayer must be a central part of church because Jesus said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. I want the Wellfort pain to be, to be known, not in, a, not in a prideful way, but that we know that this church is a house of prayer. That we don't pray out of just because it's tradition, just because it's an ordinance, just because it's something to do. But we pray because we understand the power of prayer. A Christian without prayer, just like a church without prayer, is a Christian without power. And God said this in the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah when he wrote that. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Meaning it's not just this group or that group that should pray, but anywhere that the name of Jesus is lifted up and it's called the church, it should be a place where prayer is a central part of what we do. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. 
Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? In other words, is prayer steering and guiding your life through what you're asking the Lord and what you're listening to the Lord? Because one thing that you have to understand about prayer is prayer is not a one-way street. What I mean by that is, is prayer is not just an opportunity for me to pour all of my problems out to God. Prayer is a place where I talk to God and God talks to me. Because prayer is a conversation. Have you ever been in a one-sided conversation? Uh, 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 uh. And they won't let you get a word in edgewise? I wonder how many times God's up there going, uh. And people just keep... To, and because sometimes we miss the voice of God simply because we aren't listening to it. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. You will get to know someone's voice by listening to their voice. Right? There's some people in this room that I don't know. Therefore, I don't know your voice because I've never listened to your voice. But the way that I get to know the voice of God is by listening to the voice of God. So I encourage you, when you go into your prayer closet, don't just talk, 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 talk. But spend some time listening to God. Amen? Amen. The fifth thing that I believe should happen at the house of God is teaching. I believe that the Father's house is meant to be a place where the Word of God is taught in accuracy and anointing. Because everything that is taught in the house of God or at church should come from the Word of God. Because the Word of God is our only form of absolute truth in this life. We shouldn't preach philosophies. We shouldn't preach ideas. It shouldn't just be a catchy phrase and something that gets everybody excited. But I want to encourage you, make sure that anytime you listen to the preached Word of God, that they're preaching the Word of God. I'm a firm believer in this. Don't judge the Word of God by what the preacher says. Judge the preacher by what the Word of God says. Because only the Word of God is complete and total truth. It's never my desire to stand in the pulpit and preach false doctrine. Doctrine. God forbid, though, if it happens, it doesn't make the Bible untrue. If there's a, a fault in a teacher or a preacher, the fault is never found in the Word of God. It's only found in the messenger that brings it. Because the reality is, even though our goal is, is ministers is to stand in the Word of God and preach the truth, there's the fact that there is still human error that will be involved sometimes. Maybe you've heard and you've been taught false teaching, I want to encourage you today, realize that it was not the Word of God that was wrong, it was not God Himself who was wrong. It was a man that perverted what God said and, and, and did it in a wrong way. Because I believe that the house of God should be a place where we come to be taught. And that's why the, the time of the sermon and the Word is so important. We want to, that, that's one reason that we have nursery and we have children is so that they can be taught the Word of God in a way that it relates to them and they understand it and they can apply it to their life. Those teachers over there, they're not just babysitting your children and showing them veggie tales and veggie tales and veggie tales and feeding them goldfish. They're teaching your child about Jesus and about the Word of God. And you get to sit here in this environment and be taught the Word of God without distraction so that we can take it and apply it to our life because the teaching of the Word of God is so important. And I want to show you this in Scripture. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Now when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apolli Apollonia, I practiced those words last night. I kid you not, I actually did and I still messed them up. And they came to Thessalonica. I'm not Greek, what can I say? Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So there's a synagogue, there's a house of God, there's a temple, there's a place of worship. And it says, then Paul like of Jesus, as his custom was, went into them for three Sabbaths and reasoned to them from what? From the Scriptures. Not from his ideas, not from his philosophies, not from he, you know, he just came up with himself, but from the Scriptures. Explaining and demonstrating, 
That would be like teaching, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So there was an obvious transformation that took place as Paul taught the Word of God. People were converted to Christianity from Judaism. And we don't come to church just to see people or be seen by people. We come to church because there's something in our lives that we cannot attain on our own. We need the help of others. We need the the teaching of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. And we come to the house of God to learn more about God. We come to the church to learn more about ourselves. We come to church to learn about how to trust Him, how to obey Him, how to love Him, how to raise and rear our children. I believe that as long as the Word of God is being taught somewhere, you can learn and you can grow. Right Now, I would never encourage anyone to stay somewhere where the Word of God is being taught in error. But if the Word of God is being taught in accuracy, I believe that anyone can learn because the Word of God is profitable for our lives at all time, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So, I encourage you to come to church with an open heart, with a teachable heart. Don't come in thinking that you already know everything that the pastor is going to say. You've heard this sermon four times and you, you know, you know what, what's going to take place, what's going to happen, what the Word of God says. You know. But come to listen. Because you can, you can never learn unless you listen. And so I encourage you to come. To not, not, and I'm not saying this because I'm the one holding the microphone today. I'm talking when you go to church... No matter who is preaching the Word of God, the Word of God has the power to transform your life. If it was a five-year-old up here saying a scripture, that scripture can grab your heart because it's living and it's active. So it's not about who's got the microphone. It's about the power of the Word of God that can transform your life. The pastors and the leaders of this house want... Don't, don't want to browbeat you and condemn you. The goal when we stand up here and teach the Word is to encourage you to speak the tr- and to speak the truth in love. I want you to know that, that it says of Jesus in John chapter 1 that He came full of grace and full of truth. What that means to me is that we don't just preach grace, 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 and it's okay, you can do whatever you want. But we also don't just, tr- just preach you have to be holy, you have to be right, you have to be good, because you need the grace of God to make you right, but you need the righteousness of God to be able to stand before Him on Judgment Day. And so the teaching in this house, the goal is that it would be full of grace and truth. Like Paul said in Ephesians, speak the truth in love. In other words, don't beat people over the head with the Bible, and you're unholy, and you're no good, and you're this and you're that. But... Make sure that you do it in love, because if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, it's not going to profit anybody anything anyways. Amen? The sixth thing that we should find in the house of God is reverence. And before we get into this, I just want to make mention that this is not an exhaustive list, okay? So don't, don't go home thinking, well, he didn't say this, or he didn't say that, therefore they don't believe it, okay? This is just the points that the, I feel like the Lord has put on my heart, and I want to talk for a moment about reverence, because... I believe that reverence for the house of God is something that a lot of, of modern day churches have lost. There's not a lot of reverence for the house of the Lord. I've been in, in, in churches, and this is not to judge or to condemn or put down, but I've been in churches where they would play uh, you know, music that would not glorify or honor God you know, in the sanctuary. And our goal is to never be legalistic because we want to be full of grace, but we also want to be full of truth. And I want to make sure that we're reverent 
towards the house of the Lord. I know that this is a school during the week. I know that this building does not belong to us. But when we meet here, this is the house of God. And so just because it's a school doesn't mean that it's not the house of God. Because the house of God is wherever God's people assemble together and worship Him, uh, pray, be are taught the word of God, have healing, wherever we are. And so... I want to read to you uh, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 2. And listen to what the Lord says. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. You shall reverence my sanctuary. I want you to realize, and I want there to be a culture here, that this room, I know it's just drywall. I know it's just insulation on the other side of that wall. I know it's just you know uh, steel beams and, and, and carpet and, and seats. But... Spiritually speaking, it's so much more than all of those things. This is the sanctuary that God told us that we should have reverence. That word reverence means respect. It means fear, actually. It means awe. And we should respect the sanctuary. You know, when I was growing up, we were taught to respect and show reverence in the house of the Lord. I couldn't tell you how many times I was told not to run in church. Is it because running is wrong? No. It's because we want to instill in our children the idea that I am in the house of the Lord and I'm not going to treat it like the playground. I'm going to treat it for what it is. It's a holy place. It's a reverent place. You know, when Moses drew close to the burning bush, God told him, take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy ground. I believe that this sanctuary is holy ground. Not because this carpet is special and we've anointed it with water from the Jordan River. This place is special because God is here. Because this is His sanctuary and His Word tells us to show reverence. I remember growing up, we didn't wear a hat in church. It just wasn't allowed. If we went to church, my parents would say, you need to take your hat off when you go in the church. Was it because wearing a hat was going to send us to hell? No. It was because the church is a place of honor and it's a place of respect. And it's a sign of me saying to God, God, I revere you more than I want to do what I want to do. Okay? And so it's not about being legalistic. It's about a heart that wants to please the Lord. You know, when I was growing up, we didn't, we didn't run through the sanctuary. We didn't rough house in the foyer. And I want this to be a house that we have the respect for God's house. Not, not a religious ordinance. Again, I know I keep saying that, but I want it to be a place that we understand that God is worthy of our reverence. Because this is more than a building. This is our Father's house and He deserves our honor and reverence. And I want us to have a culture of reverence. And reverence comes from the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is something that's been on my heart a lot lately because as I look at the, just the, the way the world is going today, I realize that one of the biggest problems is we lack the fear of the Lord. And if you look back at Leviticus chapter 26, he says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and you shall reverence my sanctuary. And I love how he signs it. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. In other words, he's saying, you know, I want you to make sure that you remember that I'm God and you're not. And when we have the fear of the Lord, it reminds us that He is the only one that deserves to be feared. In fact, we are told throughout the scripture, do not fear, do not fear. The only thing we're told to fear is God. Because He's a holy God. He's a reverent God. He's a respectful God. And if we serve Him, we should serve Him in a respectful and reverent manner. Amen? Here's the seventh thing, and I'm going to begin to close. And I'm so looking forward to the baptism after service. I hope you stick around for that. It's going to be a beautiful thing. The seventh thing that should take place in the church or be in the church or be a part of the church is power. Power. The church, if you look at Scripture and you look at church history, the church was birthed in power. That's how it got here, was by power. Because Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, You shall receive 
power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them in the book of Acts chapter 2, when they were in the upper room, they received power and boom, the church was birthed. So the church was started in power and I believe that the church should continue in power. Amen. There's a lot of people today that believe that the gifts of the Spirit are gone. That, you know, the, the working of prophets and apostles is gone. And that, you know, uh, God doesn't move in power anymore. And there's no need for the Holy Spirit. And I just say, as I read the Word of God, I don't see how that's possible. I don't see how that could, could possibly be true. I believe that Jesus' Word was true when He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the church was birthed. It says that Peter stood up and he preached the gospel, and 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom. Therefore, they had the very first church. The house of God is not supposed to be a boring, dead, weak, dysfunctional place. Sadly, there's a lot of buildings today that are filled with people that come together just because it's Sunday and it's Wednesday. And again, it's not, I'm not here to cast judgment, but I'm here to say I don't want that to be said or known or felt here. I want this to be a house of power. I want you to know that if you get sick, you can call for the elders of the church and we'll lay hands on you and we believe that you're going to get healed. If you're in a place where you need God to show up and move, He is a God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's a God of power. And listen, power isn't just shaking and dancing and speaking in tongues. Power is the demonstration of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's the ability to walk and live a holy life. It's the ability to love your wife instead of cussing her out. It's the ability to raise your children the right way instead of beating them. It's the ability to respond the right way at work when that co-worker mistreats you for the 219th time. It's not just something that happens in a building and then we go out and we live the same way. Power is meant to be transferred from the Holy Spirit to us so that we can live righteous, godly, holy lives when we're in the community, not just in church. And the problem is for too long, the power of God has been restricted in the minds of men to a service, to a moment. To that time, brother so-and-so laid hands on me, or sister so-and-such prayed for me, and boy, I felt the goosebumps all over me. But then we leave, and we're still acting the same way. We're still treating our family the same way. No, power is meant to be instilled in us. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Psalm chapter 63 and verse 2, because remember I said these points are biblical. I want you to see what David said. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary... To see your power and your glory. I have looked for you in your sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I believe that when people come to the house of God, that they should see the power and the glory of God. Not, not the exploits of man, but the power and the glory of God. I believe that somebody could stand up here with a timid voice but under the anointing and unction of the Holy Spirit, people get convicted and get saved. In fact, there's, there's a story of the days of old where there was a revival taking place and there was a young man that he was so timid, he would get up and he would hold his paper in front of his face so that no one could see him. And by the time he got to the end of it, people were holding on to the post of the building, shaking under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not because of the way he delivered the message, because he delivered it in tim timidity. In fact, Paul said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words, but with the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're after, is the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. Not somebody to stand up here and get everybody excited and get everybody to clap and jump. If that happens through the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, praise God. We are all for, you know, a move of God as long as it's a move of God. And it's not a movement of man. Amen. Wherever God is, there is power. 
Why? Because He is the all-powerful God. People don't need a powerless church with an affinity for religion and tradition. That's not going to change anybody. You know, you know going to, to church can't get you power any more than going to school can make you smart. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of people that went to school. You went to school with them, you know. They went to school with you, you know what I mean? And people go through school and they, they don't learn anything. They're not taught, they, not because the teachers didn't teach, not because homework wasn't sent home, but because they didn't apply themselves to the work that they were given. And in the same way, when we come to church, it's not just saying, what do you got for me today? We should show up, just like with worship, with an expectation, God, how do you want to move today? How do you want to show yourself in power? How do you want to demonstrate your glory and your truth and your, your might today? Because I love what it says, the prophet said in the Old Testament, it's not by might and it's not by power, speaking in regards to man, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And it's the Spirit of God that brings power. I can't empower you. This church can't empower you. But the Holy Spirit who lives inside of the vessels that attend this church, He can and He will empower those who come. And we apply ourselves, just like with school. Amen? Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, what is it? It's the power of God. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can bring transformation and power in people's lives through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a good sermon, a good song. You know, there are things that can get us emotionally hyped, but it's the power of God that transforms people because we can't save people in and of ourselves. But we have the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And I want to declare today that this is a house, this is a place of power. So I just want to begin to wrap this up by saying that these things, it's not that we, if we check these things off the list, everything will be good. Because again, that would be getting back to doing it in our own might and our own power. The only way that we're going to see God move and transform this community is by giving Him an open invitation and living in obedience. Because obedience invites God into a situation that He might not have been in before. But when God sees people living out His Word, praying His Word, inviting Him, He shows up. I love what it says in the book of James. Draw near to God, and He will what? Draw near to you. So... What we're doing when we come together in this space and this time on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and we're being the church is it's not just ticking off, okay, we worshiped, okay, we prayed, okay, we believe that somebody's going to get healed. No, it's that we come with our heart fully submitted to Him, expecting Him to move, asking Him to move, but ultimately we do not try to twist the arm of God to do something that He doesn't want to do. The goal is that it is the Father's house. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor labor in vain. And I want to just declare today that we're not here to labor in vain. Amen. Have you ever done four, six, eight hours of work to realize that you messed something up in the first hour and every, every hour that, that followed it was just useless? If we don't get this part right today, then we could miss it all because we want the foundation to be built upon Him. And so I understand that this is more of a teaching. It's very simple principles. But do you know what Paul told one of the churches he wrote to? He said, I fear that you have drifted from the elemental teachings of Christ. And so I wanted to start today 
with a very elemental teaching. I know it's not anything that's going to blow your mind spiritually, but I told the team today as we were praying and starting ser- to start service, we're not here to impress people, we're here to empower people. And so, if you come away with a real revelis- revelization, a revelation of who God is better, and it empowers you to live your life in a more righteous and holy and dedicated to Him way, then that's better than you sitting in that seat and going, man, that guy's smart. Man, that guy knows a lot of Scripture. That's not the goal. My goal is not to stand here and you to think that I'm a great preacher, a great communicator, or whatever. The goal is that when we leave here, we're empowered through the Word of God and through the power of God to be the church that He's called us to be. Because the Father's house is a place, but the Bride of Christ is a person. And it's you, and it's me. And we're called to be the church. Not just have church, but to be the church. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me today? I'm so thankful to the Lord and to you for this morning and what it's looked like. I'm thankful to the people that have served. I know they can't hear me in the nursery and in the children's area so that we could have this service. I'm thankful to Livingstone Academy for allowing us to use their building. They've been such a blessing to us and I want to just speak blessings, blessings over them for the way that they have so generously allowed us, opened up this space for us to come and be here. And I'm excited about what God's doing in the future. Amen? I'm excited about what He's doing now, but I believe that now we're in like this prep preparatory stage. And I believe that God is just beginning to birth some some things. He's laying down foundation because you cannot build without first building a foundation. Whether it's a slab or a crawl space, you can't just start slapping two by fours on the dirt and build a house that is going to be foundationally sound. You have to have a foundation. I believe God is doing that today. Amen? If you would, close your eyes and let's pray. Father, I ask that you would empower us, Lord, to be your church. God, not just to attend church, not just talk about church, not just share about church on Facebook, but God, we want to truly be the temple of the Holy Ghost. We want to be people that we carry your presence everywhere that we go. And Lord, I ask that as we come into your house, you would give us wisdom and guidance as we grow and as we learn and as we build. God, we just declare that you are building this house and we're building it on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We believe that it's a, that you are a sure foundation, Christ Jesus. You're one that we can build on, that we can trust. We don't have to worry about cracks. We don't have to worry about it not holding up. But we believe that we can stand on you. And as you build this house, we believe we're going to see healing. We believe we're going to see salvation. We believe we're going to see deliverance, God. We believe that we're going to see a great move and outpouring of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Because one thing that I didn't put on the list, but the house of God is, it's a house of salvation. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up. And I want, we want to pray with you today. Is there anyone here that you'd like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? You don't know Him. You don't have a personal relationship with Him. I see that hand. Thank you. Maybe you've drifted away and you need to recommit your life to the Lord today. Is there anybody here that you'd like to make that commitment? Well, there was a hand lifted. Let's pray this all together. Say, Dear Jesus... Forgive me of my sins. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I receive your blood and your forgiveness for my sins. I give you my life completely. My heart, my soul, my mind, and my body. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that decision today to follow the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that this is a house of salvation. 
in Jesus' name. If you would, raise your hands and just receive this blessing today. And then we're going to have the baptism out in the parking lot. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May He lift up His countenance upon you. May He keep you in His peace. And may He give you His name in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll be right out in the parking lot having that baptismal uh, uh, time. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Thank you again for being here.